Welcome to Retro Rewind, Pinal Central's new sports-themed podcast, where we talk to former Pinal County athletes and discuss memorable moments in local sports history. This podcast is sponsored by Rusty's Auto Body Works for all your auto body repairs. They're located at 1341 North VIP Boulevard in Casa Grande. They've been in business and in the same location for the past 31 years. They do collision repairs and also RVs and motorhome repairs. Hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Stop by or call at 520-426-9193. That's Rusty's Auto Body Shop. Welcome to another episode of Retro Rewind. I am your host, Brian Wright, and I'm with my co-host, Maria Vasquez. And our guest this week is John Kashner. And among uh, his coaching uh, journey, uh, the several places he was, uh, he was the CG Union football coach for seven seasons from 1979 to 1985. And uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Very looking forward to it. Okay, well, let's start with uh, where, where you were at prior to coming out to Arizona uh, your story begins in Pennsylvania, and uh, or, or at least I think, uh, at least prior to Arizona, you were in Pennsylvania. So if you can kind of tell us what you were doing uh, before then and how you ended up out here in Casa Grande. Sure. Um, in 1972, I graduated from Kutztown State University. Uh, for people that don't know, probably our namesake is Andre Reed in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, but... Uh, I got done. I signed a contract with the Philadelphia Eagles in 1972, and uh, later that year I got cut and got into coaching. A guy in my high school who was my college secondary coach had a brother who was taking over a program that had never played football, believe it or not, in Pennsylvania. It was a soccer community out in the Amish country, and I took a job there for one year and then was hired at the Kutztown State University, and I uh, was there for three and a half years, and I listened to uh, Lou Holtz who said he would never hire anybody that hadn't been a head high school coach. And so they had this big job in the cool regions of Pennsylvania, uh, North School Cool High School. They were building a brand new school. It was a jointure. And I was lucky enough to get hired. I spent three years there and uh, fairly successful. We had a high school All-American quarterback. Um, and uh, one year, as I was mentioning, we had 11 players signed Division One AA or above but uh, after three years, I thought it, I was going to take a college job on, on advice of Lou Holtz. And uh, I was in the midst, I'm not going to name the coach or the college, but he didn't tell us that his contract wasn't going to be renewed. So I was having a second child, my son John, and uh, I knew I couldn't be out of a job in November. So I started calling around to all my contacts and a buddy I had coached uh, high school, I mean college football with, Ernie Forchetti. Uh, had taken the Cass Grand job and was there for a year, decided he wanted to go back to medical school. So he gave me, when I was calling, it just so happened that I heard that Ernie was leaving. I said, and I had been out here the year before just to visit uh, on a vacation for a week with a couple other coaches. And uh, that was the last time, first time I'd been in Arizona and the only time. And uh, So I called and the athletic director, Jim Russell, and Al Nader was the superintendent. And they had finished their interviews, but they said they'd gladly give me an interview just to see what's up. So they did one, then they did another one, and pretty soon they offered me the job. And I came with myself and drove out with an assistant coach who had already been here, who was my line coach in Pennsylvania, um, Paul Litwinitz. And uh, 
I ended up coming down, and the funniest story I can say is we came through Flagstaff, and when I had come out before, the week was in November, early December, after football season, and uh, the weather was great. Came down from Flagstaff, got here uh, the day before July 4th. And I had a Volvo that had a, I had taken out to tow it, taken out the drive uh, train, and uh, I went to lay down on the blacktop to put the drive train in. I had just shorts on, no T-shirt, and I scalded my my back. And so that was my introduction. I called my wife and said, hey, I think I just took a job in hell, and I'm, I'm not going to be here very long. And uh, because all my contacts were back there, but I fell in love with uh, Casa Grande, Casa Grande, uh, as a community, I can't say enough about it. Uh, there's a story that I mentioned to the old uh, editor, Ed Petruska, that maybe this dispatch would want to do. But uh, I think it was my third year at SPED because I had, I had twins born at the old Holcomb Hospital, and I was at the practice field. And, and uh, the athletic director at that time was Wes Flynn, and he came and got me and and said, your wife's delivering. And uh, I went over there. As I was getting there, was a helicopter taking off. Little did I know that one of our twins, because it was a blood steal, we didn't know we were going to have twins till about four weeks before they were born because one was a preemie and the other one was... But the one that was full developed was sent to, uh, in a helicopter to uh, Phoenix Children's Hospital for an open heart surgery that I had to sign for. It was experimental. And the other one went right to an incubator. It was about two pounds, Allison was. So anyway, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is uh, I thought we had great insurance and everything else, and that when it was all said and done, about three weeks later, we get this bill for $55,000. It was for what this insurance company called uh, out-of-ordinary expenses. Well, within, I want to say, three weeks, uh, the business community and the farmers, uh, cotton farmers and all that, they paid the bill. And uh, I'll be indebted for them forever. Uh, we took pictures of those twins almost every year and put them in a dispatch so they could see development. And uh, But they're all fine, college graduates, and that's how long. But, I mean, uh, the kind of close-knit community. And you were a fairly new arrival at the time. Yeah, I was only here about two, three years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, but as a football coach, if you're anywhere too long, like I've been places 10 as many good things and things that happen, you know, there are always a few kids that don't get to play, disgruntled parents, you know, or, or you win too much and then they expect more winning. And then when you don't do what you did to, you know, and it's high school football, I can't just go out and recruit, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry. Now, when I was in college, that was one of the really good things I was. I was a, you know, a uh, very good recruiter. But, uh, yeah, that's how I got to Casa Grande. And then, then from there, I was here for seven years. And then uh, sort of the tide changed, and I ended up working on my master's degree and spent three more years here uh, and then was working in the administrative end and discipline end, and I ended up getting a, another head high school job at Flowing Wells High School in Tucson. And I was there for ten years. And... Uh, a lot of good things happened, and then I got a job that was, I think, the best job I could have ever had. I was the assistant principal at Coolidge, and they let me be an administrator and the head football coach. So I kept my hand on the beat of the kids, and it was an unbelievable experience. And then one day the superintendent came to me and said, um, we need you to be a principal. And I said, I don't want to be a principal. I like what I'm doing. And he said, well, it's either you be a principal or 
you don't have a, a job. So being the thick kid that I was, I applied for a couple of head high school jobs, and I'm not going to name the school because that was one of the agreements I signed. They offered me the job. It was a big school in the Valley that ended up playing for the state championship the next year. But my wife at that time said to me, are you ever going to just think about the family and not about football? Because the difference in pay was about $15,000. And so I ended up being a principal, and that's how I ended up. Uh, I got to hire other coaches, and Carlo and Anderson, who I ended up naming as the football coach there, at Coolidge, uh, he ended up winning two state championships. My son coached for him, so I was able to keep my hand in it. But uh, that was pretty much my entire coaching career, except for when I was at Flowing Wells. They allowed me, we were doing really well, they allowed me a leave of absence because at that time there was a new football league starting out, and uh, I was hired as the running back coach for a team in the World Football League. And uh, but at that time, it was right when the money contract, Herschel Walker, all that stuff, and they pulled the plug, and we were all out of a, out of a job. And so because I had just taken a leave of absence, I was allowed to come back, but uh, I had to work at J.C. Penney for intermediate because they couldn't give me my job back, but I had it for the next year. But when the football season plugged in the middle of the year, it was one of those things. So football's gotten me a lot of good things, and it's, you know, met me a lot, uh, I've met a lot of great people, and, but Casa Grande is dear to my heart, and that's why I'm living here. Well, let, let me rewind a bit to Pennsylvania, because uh, I know that uh, other than just you burning your back and it being 100 who knows how many degrees on July 4th when you first get down to the valley, um, there's also probably a little bit of a culture shock from uh, the way things are in Pennsylvania to the way things are out here. Now, we talked a little bit before the program about uh, – the, the particular area in Pennsylvania you are in, the coal country, um, very intense, uh, football is life, um, that sort of deal. So describe to me the differences between being in Pennsylvania and coaching football and how that changed when you came out here. Well, a couple things were, were evident. Um, for example, there was a lot, because of the weather, first thing I noticed, uh, and even when I had just visited, the speed, the, the you know, the spring sports sort of had a, an advanced track, baseball, softball. You know, uh, they're pretty much year-round here. And uh, But this, the line, the guys up front, you know, we didn't have a lot of big kids. That was one thing. And then high school football, I'll be honest with you, I, I almost fell over when I came because actually when I was in high school, Frank Cush had recruited me. I, I didn't want to move that far. Uh, I was in a relationship anyway I, I ended up staying in Pennsylvania to play but uh, we get out here and we're playing with a rubber ball a rubber and it was the highest division in football so I get with Frank Cush one day and I said what's going on how can you allow he said it's not us at that time the way they decided Phoenix Union had so many high schools that when a vote came up for leather or rubber balls the guy who was the superintendent at that time kept on saying we're safe but he was a basketball guy they played with leather basketballs <laughs> but rubber footballs. In fact, you know, I know you had Kevin White in here. It was a quarter. First time he touched a leather football, believe it or not, is when he went to the University of West Virginia. You talk about it. Anybody that knows football and quarterbacks, just the adjustment to going from a rubber ball to a leather ball yeah. is. And that's why I, I said, you know, Kevin overcame a lot more than just a culture shock going from here to there. But, you know, football was king. I mean, I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Probably the most famous guy is Chuck Bernard, and uh, 
I played at his junior high school, but I mentioned earlier that in high school I played on Thanksgiving Day in front of 37,000 people. And it took me to a senior in college before I matched that crowd or had more. And, and uh, so high school football, even in the coal regions, where I ended up taking my first head job, uh, uh, the nearest movie theater I think was 28 miles. And so the kids were really focused. They had no outlet. And football was it. Friday nights, everybody came out. And it Friday night lights didn't... You know, did not surprise me when it came out. I had lived it. I mean, um, one of the reasons I was hired, believe it or not, at this particular school, the year before, they had seven fights and ten games. And I promised that uh, one of the things we did is from college, we made every kid game day had to wear a shirt, and tie, a coat, and tie. We provided a sport coat, but they had to wear a tie. And again, it was trying to change culture, trying to change. The, they had the athletic ability and the aggression. It was maintaining their composure. That was needed. Now, was that was that here at Union? You no, said? no, no. That was in the coal region okay. where I had taken that. No, no, no. The the culture there was, you know, if we can't beat them on a field, we're going to beat them, you know, and in a fight. And yeah, in a fight. <laughs> and I mean, I'm talking about talented, talented, and big fellas. You know, I'm one of the guys that played there. Ron Mattis played for the, was my lineman. Played for the Seattle, and I think he was six six. 330 pounds. I mean, so when guys like that get in a fight, now he wasn't that big in high school, but you can imagine. And so we only had one brawl in my first year. It lasted about 10 minutes, and we suspended some, and it sort of stopped it. But it was, you know, it was, it was a, here, coming to Casa Grande, I remember running into, and I'm not naming names, but these two big young men come in, and one's African-American, the other's white, but they look like bookends. I'm saying, there are my tackles. One's like 6'4", 220, and that's a, and, uh, you know, the old adage, you know, um, look like Tarzan, play like Jane was one of the things that I thought, God. But we found that, you know, there the aggressive, we had to get kids. For example, we had two or three great Native American kids. And the culture to get them to come out. And then they bought into the weight room. And once they got the weight room, and one Bennett Levy went on to Northern Arizona University. And after that, in fact, it was just a thing. One of the young guys passed away. He was a three-time state champion in wrestling. But, you know, it was back then getting those kids and getting them uh, more aggressive and being able to uh, remember to turn like the light switch. When you get on a football field, almost anything can go within the rules. When you get off, you know, you become back to this gentle human being that you got to be. But if you want to be successful out there, you, you know, there's got to be a little bit of a an attitudinal change. And that was the biggest thing, I think, there. Uh, you had to light the fire on more individuals here than I had to there. But once they caught on and uh, what could happen with the change in their body through the weight room, change in attitude, and uh, that education, you know, you could use football as the tool to get a better education. And that was the whole, I mean, without football, I would have never been, I mean, my parents were very big in education. My dad worked in a steel mill. My mother was a, just a, worked at Bethlehem Steel. And it was one of those things that when you graduated from high school there, you either went to work for the steel company, went into service, or if you were fortunate enough to go to college. And, uh, you know, and I was. But football, as I always said, was nothing more than a tool to be used to get something greater. And uh, because not a lot of guys make it in the NFL, I, I can say that. You know, and I've been lucky enough, I think, to have 10 guys that have made in the NFL. Uh, and uh, But out of hundreds that I've coached. So, you know, it's... It's an attitude, and you have to use football for what it is. But enjoy it. It's a great game. Like I said, uh, I'm crippled because of it. I've had two spine fusions probably 
20 other operations, but I wouldn't trade it, you know, except some days when I'm really hurt and I'd say, what am I doing? You know, but no, and Casa Grande is a big part, uh, and uh, the relationships, like I said, that, that going back to that, uh, some of the relationships that were built here, um, I had chances to move a lot of other places. And I still keep a home here. Not, you know, I do travel a lot and get out. But, uh, it's, a, it's a great place to live. What was, when you came to Casa Grande, um, you said that the community really embraced you. So um, was that a different kind of relationship that you had when you were coaching in Pennsylvania? Did you? No, when you were coaching Pennsylvania, you, you were pretty much, if you were good, if, if you won games, again, Losing, you know, catches up there. But if you win games, you pretty much uh, could get what you wanted. You know what I mean? From a program. And Casa Grande, they wanted to win. So that's why I think they accepted us. Ernie had done, a, I think, a good job of laying the groundwork. But still, Casa Grande was far behind in uh, the biggest difference in going back that you asked was the development of young players in football. In other words, in Pennsylvania, I mean, I had a football in my hand from the time I was probably seven or eight years old and then was actually coached from the time I was eight, nine, you know, all the way through high school. Well, when I came here, you know, there was no really good feeder program. And not to mention, I mean, and I, I'm just coming from the White Mountains, so all these stories come back because up there it's like coaching retirement area. But when I came here... Uh, there's a coach I'm going to mention, Bruce Branstrom, who's just had two heart attacks and recovering, so the public that knows him sends something out to him. But he was one of the he had coached, uh, played at NAU, great player, and uh, big NAU. But he was working at the elementary school. And the other thing that was totally different for me was I come to a town the size of Casa Grande, and there's two different school districts within the community. And not only that, we're as a high school, we're getting students. From one Secatone, Toltec, and out in uh, uh, God, out by Maricopa, but it's uh, I don't want those people because I had so many good players from there, and I'm going brain dead. The, the junior seven through eight school out uh, toward John Wayne's Ranch. Um, I can't. Stanfield. Stanfield, that's it, sweetheart. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's but anyway, and there were a lot of great players because hardworking kids, you know, right. But it came to me, so we're getting a feeding from all these places, and their developmental football was none in Sacaton. There was none in Toltec. You know, I'm talking about tackle football. There was none in Stanfield. So they came out here, and so the first time they would get introduced to football, in some cases, was maybe in junior high a little bit, but then junior high did away with the athlete. And there was no big youth like back in Pennsylvania. So you're almost starting from scratch, and... Uh, I have to say there was so much talent that we had here that was undeveloped until we got, we sent a lot of kids to Division three schools and two because uh, their development wasn't to a point where it could have been. I mean, I can, that was my biggest thing is getting these kids to college, whether it be somebody like Kevin White going to West Virginia or I know you had uh, Dennis Fitzgibbons going to Columbia, but we had kids that were going to, you know, Oklahoma to one double A schools and one and uh, NAIA schools. And the same thing we sent a lot to Kansas because in Arizona, my other thing that was totally different from a culture standpoint, there's a college on almost every town in Pennsylvania, and they all have football. Well, here it, 
it, that's a sad state of football here in Arizona. They've just done away with junior college football. So unless I'm a Division One player and can play at ASU, NAU, or U of A, I have nowhere to go. And now they've taken away the junior college. In fact, junior college used to be a great haven when I was in Pennsylvania. Believe this, in Arizona, we would send players to hide them that didn't have academically to be able to get in. We'd send them out here. And I can remember some of the best players in the country. Chuck Muncie, they used to hide him out in in, uh, in Yuma at the junior college there. You know, and he becomes, you know, all world. I think he's in the NFL Hall of Fame. But, you know, so it, junior college served the purpose. But now, and when I got here, it was so frustrating because the junior college guys, they all wanted the guys that were going to go to NAU or ASU that maybe were academically a little shy and needed some help, or they were maybe an inch or too short, where in Pennsylvania, those kids would have been as highly recruited, in fact, more so, because there were so many Division two and three schools, it was very competitive for those kids to get an education. Where here, we had the, it was totally reversed. We had to recruit the colleges to get those kids to come to Casa Grande. And thank God for the community in that we're in a hotbed of football. Believe it or not, back then, um, I just sat and had a great conversation with Lonnie Foster, who was the head coach at Eli, when Art and Benny Malone played at, I mean, those were like, you're talking about NFL guys that every, you mentioned the Malones and everybody knows them. Then there were the Cades. And then Coolidge had, you know, their outstanding players. So Casa Grande was in this mix. So when they came, we finally started to get some people to look, you know, at our players, but only the higher level players. And so we had to send film and, do all that. So that was the biggest cultural change from a football standpoint. Being a football guy, you come out here, you're playing with a rubber ball, and you have nowhere to send your kids that if they're a good player, I'm talking about, you know, the six foot one lineman who weighs 240, who's a beast as a player, but, you know, they all want 6'5, 260. So there's nowhere for him to go. And you had to, back then, you had to send a film. Now, with Huddle and all the things that are going on with, the media and being able to, like young people, like now the coaching is totally different. I mean, I can get a film and break it down on a Friday and every kid can have it on his laptop. They're good and they're bad plays. Where for us, we had to spend hours watching film, cutting it up, you know, doing all the things you had to do. So there was a, there was a big difference in, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture that it was not just one thing. It was the overall how... It was looked on. Now, we've gone leaps and bounds. I would compare Arizona to, even though we don't have the numbers, to Florida. How Florida, when I was growing up being a player that was being recruited, all the Florida schools, Florida State, everybody came up to Pennsylvania looking for linemen and a few skilled quarterbacks, stuff like that, like Joe Namath going to Alabama, you know, back in that era. So Pennsylvania was a hotbed for the, where now, you know, Florida doesn't have to leave their backyard. And Arizona, be honest with you, look, I turn on TV and, you know, the kid from uh, Iowa State is from Arizona, the quarterback. The, you know, it goes on and on. The new uh, yeah, kid. The quarterback at Oklahoma, Spencer right. Rattler. Exactly. So now it's changed in Arizona, the outlook of football here. It's not like this is a baseball or a basketball, like it's labeled places. For example, when I first came here, the announcers back in Pennsylvania had laughed because U of A would win a game and they were saying, well, Cush will be happy. You know, they, they didn't even know there was two different colleges, U of A and ASU. So the Sun Devils and the 
back east because of the time difference. You know, they didn't get the publicity that they had, and uh, so it was it was kind of funny in that regard that uh, other parts of the country didn't really focus on uh, Arizona as a football, baseball, track. You know, the the sports like that because they were played. All right, and what's your take on football in the county now? Um, it's improving, definitely improving. I mean, it makes strides, but it all has to do with. Uh, and I'll give you a prime example. This reminds me of remind me a little bit of Pennsylvania. What I could do at Flowing Wells. Flowing Wells is a unified district, and uh, we had the kids from one. As soon as I went there, I went to the junior high program. They only had seventh graders. In eighth grade, well, I talked to them in allowing sixth graders to play because the youth program wasn't that great. So those kids were running our program from six, seven, eight, nine, right up through high school. The same playbook, the same thing. So it was no different than me as a principal wanting curriculum to be ongoing. So the math that you're using the same books, same philosophy from maybe elementary school right up through high school. And that's the difference with having three different feeders to the high school. Everybody's coming with a different attitude. So I, I, I'm seeing that that same issue is still there. The feeder programs are not in those places to feed Casa Grande or even, for that example, Maricopa. Um, and it's changed. The demographics have changed. In fact, I remember Al Nader telling me that we're the next big thing to happen, Chandler. And by that time, oh, Chandler only had one school, and we had one, you know. So you're thinking, but you look how Chandler evolved. You look how we couldn't even play Gilbert because Gilbert was too small. We couldn't play Maricopa. They were too small. So now those communities have grown. And then you have a community like Eloy that's always had Coolidge that both have had strong athletic programs go back for history, but they don't get the numbers. So everybody looks to Casa Grande, and I think one of the probably biggest mistakes, and I was against it, they split. Because at the time, they could have one unified school that I think would have been competitive. So if you were to take Vista Grande and Casa Grande and put them together, they would be competitive uh, like the old, some of the old Big Chandler school. I think before I divide, I want to make sure we were being successful. And I remember when I came here, Avondale, uh, our Freya, they were growing a little bit like Casa Grande. And what they did is they built a brand new school, but they made it freshman only. And it was like that for about four or five years until they got successful. And they, I could look back at some years when they were really successful athletically. Then they split and made two high schools. Um, so, you know, I, I, we, we've come a long way, but this county has got a long way to go to pick up to uh, Pima or Maricopa in, in athletics. And part of that is what happens is uh, the AIA is not that strong. And what I mean by that, when uh, even after I left Coolidge, all of a sudden you have a star player, and a year later he's playing at Hamilton. And uh, some of these other kids, the, the recruitment that's allowed. And there was one year that uh, Desert uh, Vista, I think, won the state championship, and every one of their backfield guys was from Maricopa. They still send buses down there. So, you know, you have some talent, and then they, you know, they get recruited out of the way. And I think in some ways, to answer your question, in a nutshell, we're looked down upon. So if the, uh, a great player, a parent sees a great player, well, I'm going to send them up to the Valley. I'm going to send them to Gilbert. I'm going to send them to Hamilton. I'm going to send them, you know, somewhere else. And the exact same thing happens a little bit, I noticed, in Tucson, where uh, South Point, who Casagrande is going to play this week, 
um, having camps, and they're getting kids from all these other schools, and being you know it's a, a recruitment kind of thing. And there's some other schools in Tucson where you know the rich get richer, they win, and so all of a sudden it's a migration to one program versus another. The only good thing about here is I believe that Cass Grant is nurturing their own. And I think Coach Barrow's doing a good job. I think the coach at Vista's just new and, and getting his groundwork. But it all has to come from the youth program on up. But keeping them here, keeping your talent here, not letting it leave. I mean, I'll be honest with you, there, was, there wasn't that back when I, like, Randy Robbins or Kevin White would have probably gotten recruited or tried to get recruited to a big, but Chandler was no better than we were. So there wasn't these mega schools like there are now. There are not some of the things that are allowed to happen, like the club sports where, you know, kid goes to play club and all of a sudden a year later he's at the high school where the club coach is, is from. And uh, that's more up in the valley than it is here. So I'm, I'm thinking if Pinell County, if we could just keep our own talent, and I think we're the next mushroom thing where we're going to grow and and, uh, and you're going to keep... The biggest thing is the turnover rate. That's the other thing. I was here for seven years, and I think I was, at that time, either the second longest coach tenure. I mean, that's seven years. It takes time to build a program and come up, and that's one of the things I think that Cass Grant's gone through, not only from a athletic standpoint, but even from a district standpoint as far as the number of superintendents. And you have to have some type of continuity, and that's one of the things the elementary district has had. You know, there for a while they had the same superintendent, good or bad. What I'm saying is it takes time to build anything. And I think that right now we're in a good place, that we're building from the bottom up, and uh, both coaches are doing a good job feeding, getting the youth programs, now, the biggest thing is parents got to realize it takes time. A state championship doesn't happen overnight. And, uh, you know, you've got you've to gotta build it. I mean, look what happened. All of a sudden, you know, and that's why I, I remark we're up there again. I keep talking about all the coaches from all the districts. You look at the districts around the state that are, that are named Mesa School District, Chandler School District, Peoria School District. How many, uh, how many of those schools... Is the name school still relevant? Very few, because the migration. But yet, if a district is smart and they do things right, Chandler has come back. Now, Hamilton put them there, but now Chandler has actually gone beyond Hamilton. So they have how many schools in that area, in that town, almost like a county? You have six high schools, I think, in Chandler. But to allow some way for that name school, Chandler School District, to be relevant is important because you look around, what Phoenix Union, what's their name school? Tucson. What's what's the name school within Tucson Union? You see where I'm, I'm going. And so the outlining schools, the uh, for example, in Santan and, and uh, uh, where uh, Gilbert, some of those, you know, the, the communities have just gone crazy out there, and that's where the talent goes. And then you have the inner city is left with, you know, when I was Tucson, Amphi was unbeatable. That was one of probably the most accomplished things I ever did. We beat, we were a 4A school, Florida was, we beat Amphi three years in a row. No other school in the state of Arizona, and Vern Friedley is like the second winningest coach. We beat him three, and it was because going back to, I wanted to tie that in, the feeder program. Our kids were playing 6th and 8th. When they got to 8th grade, all of a sudden they beat Amphi in junior high. When they got to high school, Amphi was nothing. 
We went over there with kids and said, we're going to beat them. They had never beaten them in a school's history. We beat them three years in a row. And why? Because those kids feeding up. And that's what I'm saying. If you can nurture that. I'm up in the cold, uh, um, the White Mountains, my, where I'm places right across from Blue Ridge High School. Blue Ridge was a power. They've dissipated now. Why? At one time, they had a coach that got the feet. They were playing football from the time they could walk in one program. And they were that way through the high school. And I and look at how many state championships they won because it was a small community that could be controlled. And they weren't being recruited out of there. But those kids were not always college kids, but they were in this system for over and over the repetitiveness of a play. Just think about that. If we only run 10 plays and a kid's running that for 10 years, those are, it's like you can do it in your sleep. And so that's going back, and that's what I'm starting to see here a little bit. You've got to build it up from the bottom, keep it consistent, and it will come. And they'll win eventually. I mean, win big games and win, you know, uh, chances for state playoffs and state championships. But it's, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes a community. It takes a community to believe in it. And I'm not so sure. It's one of the things, Cassie, they don't know what to make of football. You know what I mean? They, they don't know if we're going to throw it out like, you know, you go up to the valley, man, we're, we're going to win and we're going to make sure we win and whatever we need to win, we're going to make happen. I'm not so sure the community buy-in in certain places is like that, you know, um, and diversity maybe. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's not a Blue Ridge and it's not one of those places where, you know, it's to that point yet where, and it takes, that's what it takes. It takes it from youth program. And I think the youth programs in Pinnell County have, have come a long way and are a lot more for all sports, club sports. I mean, my daughter was a Division One volleyball player. She had to go to Tucson to play. Uh, she got recruited because she was at Cascarine Union High School. But her travel team was out of Tucson because that's where they were. If they go in, finally, she got recruited as a Division I volleyball player, but it wasn't for high school because, and those opportunities weren't here then. But now I'm seeing those kind of things. We have travel teams in all those uh, sports now. And uh, so it's, it's, it's different. It's different. I hope that answered your question. I yeah. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, great conversation, but uh, I want to thank our guest again, John Kashner, for coming on the program today. Thank you for having me. Very interesting. There you go. Thanks for listening to Pinal Central's Retro Rewind Podcast. Remember to go to PinalCentral.com and our Facebook page to access future podcasts. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite streaming services. We will catch you next time.